The scripture reading this morning is from the book of the Song of Songs, uh, chapter 2, verse 8 through 3, verse 5. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is gone and over. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig ripens its figs, the vines are in blossom, they give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. O my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He grazes among the lilies, until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on a cleft mountains, on cleft mountains. On my bed by night I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Today uh, we're continuing through our series uh, through Song of Solomon. And uh, it's our second uh, sermon in the series. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us uh, this morning to understand uh, the paradox of love, uh, that we would grasp something that's uh, so uh, foreign to us, uh, and yet we think we know what love is, we think we know how to get it, Um, but Father, teach us today uh, what true love is, and that we would behold Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen. Um, So love is a paradox. If you love someone so much, though, so badly, you want them so much, the natural conclusion is that you should take what you want, right? Uh, If you feel like you're in love, then you should act on that feeling of love, right? Every day, we live in a world that says that you and I are the sum total of our sexuality, that our identity is determined by our wants. That um, who we are deep down is based on what we feel. Obi-Wan Kenobi or Old Ben, as you some, I saw some eyes perk up right there. Old Ben, as Luke Skywalker uh, would call him in the first Star Wars film, uh, he gave the following advice. You must do what you feel is right, of course. 
And I think that's a good summary of where most people are at today uh, and why people make the choices that we do. It feels good, and so we do it. It feels right, so we think it's right, and we act accordingly. Or maybe you've heard it like this. Um, it was your graduation day, and you know the keynote speaker addresses all the graduates and says something like, go and follow your dreams, right? Follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Um, you've been told by a friend in a difficult situation when you go to them for advice and you're paralyzed by options and you're confused and the advice, the counsel is, just follow your heart. Right? Or believe in yourself as Disney will tell us in all the different films and all the different ways. Or just be yourself or you be you or you do you. At least the kids used to say that. I don't know what they say anymore, man. I'm getting old. So, but they, you do you. In, in all these ways and more, uh, we're told that love is a feeling, that love is simply a matter of going after and getting what you want. And so acting, it's, it's acting on what you love. If I get what I want, I'll find love, is, is what we tell ourselves in that. And I'm here to tell you this morning that this is a lie, that if you go about trying to secure love in that way, you're never going to get love you're never going to find love. And you won't ever find love this way because love is a paradox. It's once I give up what I love most that I find out that I'm most loved. When I let go of what I love, I can finally begin to hold on to love for the first time. And so that's the paradox of love. And, now, and to really understand, to get uh, what's coming from Song of Solomon in this part, I want us to think about the two paradoxes of, of love in uh, chapter 2, verse 8 through 3, 5. And so first, I want us to think about the fact that true love is hasty, but it will wait. That's the first thing I want to think about this morning. The second thing is uh, true love is hard, but it will never let go. And two things this morning to, to consider. So let's think about the first thing. That true love is hasty, but it will wait. So hasty is not really a word we use much, so I understand that, right? We don't use hasty, which is unfortunate because it's, um, it's in Lord of the Rings. And, and like most nerdy pastors, right, I'm a Tolkien fan. I totally fit the box of that. And uh, I love Lord of the Rings. And there's this uh, saying of the ints. They're like big talking trees if you don't care for Lord of the Rings, right? They're just these big talking trees. And, uh, and one of these big talking trees says to the hobbits, the little tiny hobbits who, who uh, want to hurry and rush and save their friends, um, he has this saying, Tree, tree Beard has this saying, and he says, don't be hasty. Right? Really, really slow, just like, man, you got to speed things up. Um, but he embodies that, like not being hasty. Because to be hasty is to be quick, to be like rushing in, to be falling into something really fast, right? 100 miles per hour. And that's the mood of this song um, at this time. So let's look at verse, uh, verse 8 in chapter 2. The voice of my beloved, this is the woman speaking, she says, Behold, he comes leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. And I'm going to stop right there and sing, Ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low enough. Come on, somebody help me here. Ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you, babe, right? Like, I mean, that's like what, 
what's happening here. It's this rush, right? He's, he's this guy that can leap mountains and his love is so sure and confident in her that it bounds over hills to get to her and he can cross anything and will do anything. Ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low. Right? But, verse 9, my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. Huh, just hit something there to stop him. His, her true love searching for her. He comes with haste to meet her, leaping, bounding, but then he's blocked. Something's in the way. He could conquer the hill and the mountain, but what's up with this wall? Like, why can't you get past this wall? What's, you know, um, when, when, I was, when I was thinking about this and, 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 and studying this, I couldn't really make sense of it. And I'm like, if a dude can pass over a mountain to get to his woman, right? If he can, like, scale, if he can leap over hills... Can't you just get a ladder, bro? Like, you can get up to that, you know, window, and you can get into, you know, that, like the, all the rom-coms and movies that you see, like, that's what happens, right? Like, come on, what's in the way? So I knew that there must be a reason. Turns out, turns out there is. Uh, when we find something confusing, we should always interpret Scripture, the Bible, by looking at the Bible in other places, right? And so I, I was led to Esther chapter 2. And Esther, uh, the book of Esther, we have a description of King uh, Xerxes. That's the same king, Persian king, in, um, yeah, yeah, you, you know what I'm saying. Uh, not Lord of the Rings. Uh, 300, right? With uh, uh, the Spartan warriors, with Leonidas and the 300, right? Let them come, and all those other great quotes. I'm not going to go there, but good stuff. Um, and so the story of Leonidas and th- is 300, but... So there's a description of what was known uh, for King Xerxes as his royal harem. And it was what kings had in this time period. And uh, young women went through six months of of bathing, soaking in oil, and six months of wearing all these spices and smelling really, really good and amazing uh, for the king, to be fit for the king. And and they'd get one night with him, and he would choose out of this, uh, all of the, the beauties, his favorite pick, essentially. Um, and that's the context of this, that all the wives and the concubines, they lived in this harem, this, this place where they all lived together. Um, and this was not for King Xerxes, it was uh, for King Solomon, is the context here. And so that is the wall that's in the way of these two lovebirds, right? Is this, this background, this context of um, she's being prepared for King Solomon as, as a royal, part of the royal harem. That's why uh, he can't have access to her. Uh, the place has guards and people taking care of the women. Um, I'm, I'm indebted uh, for this interpretation. It's called the shepherd interpretation of the song. Uh, Walter Kaiser Jr., J.I. Packer, uh, Miles Van Pelt, all great resources if you want to read up more on that and, and, and why um, that's the context. But, so from behind the wall, he stands there, peering through the window at his, at his love. And like I said, in the, in the rom-coms and the movies, right, this is where he just like scales the wall and like enters and, you know, the love story continues. Um, but it doesn't here. And so uh, verses 10 through 17, he speaks to her. He tells her in the description that we see, um, springtime's arrived. So we notice description, descriptive imagery. We see flowers are appearing, turtle doves are out, the fig tree ripens, uh, vines are blooming. You can smell spring. So it's, it's 1978, and John Paul Young is singing, 
Love is in the air. Everywhere I look around. Come on. Love is in the air. Every sight and every sound. Yeah. All right. That's what's happened. It's springtime. You know, love is in the air. In other words, it's time for their love to blossom and bloom and to take flight. And he's ready. She's ready. Let's do this thing. And he invites her to come away in verse 13 with him to their vineyard and enjoy this love together, to enjoy the fruits of this love. And so he calls to her, arise, my love. You know, like, come out. Let's, let's like, I'm not going over the wall, but you come out and like, let's, let's, let's go. And the, and the woman answers his call and his invitation in this way. Uh, first, she makes a vow and tells him and reassures him in verse 16. Verse 16, my beloved is mine and I am his. This guy's like, yes, <laughs> like, all right, like, she loves me, like, it's not she loves me, she loves me not, no, she loves me, like, I know this, like, I'm hearing that, this is awesome, let's go, and, uh, and then she says this, verse 17, until the day breathes and the shadows flee, turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains, and so now she commands them, turn, Basically, go away for now. Our time is not yet. No, she's not sending him away forever. She's just acknowledged her mutual commitment, her love for him, right? Verse 16, my beloved's mine, I am his. But the time to enjoy that love is not now. It's not yet. So she tells him to wait. So, so true love is hasty. It wants to jump in. Fools rush in. Love, you know. But love will wait. True love will wait. And so right here, you know, you might be thinking, man, that is so dumb. <laughs> like, if, why wouldn't you act? If you can have love right now, why wouldn't you act on it? Why wouldn't you just go? Why wouldn't you be true to yourself and run away with your lover and, 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 and enjoy? And that's the thing. That's all part of the lie. The lie is getting and, and grabbing what we want, that that will lead us to love, that that will lead us to security, and I'm sorry, but I can't say that's true. For a lot of men and women, uh, pornography promises that it will be satisfaction, that it will be satisfying, that it will be the relief that you're longing for, that you're looking for. And all it does is make you feel guilty and takes away the dignity of others. And our Tinder hookup culture also promises much love, much freedom. Swipe left or right and, and, and you'll have the best night of your life. And yet magazines and news articles and research is all telling us that our young people are more isolated and lonely than ever, are having a very hard time with just basic communication and conversation with one another, and people are feeling used up, burnout, broken, people don't know how to have conversation, they don't know how to show or experience real affection, how to be patient and wait, how to experience the intimacy that we long for. And I'm going to tell you something else that's not very popular. Uh, it's not something you're going to hear a lot, and maybe some won't like hearing it at all. But what these lovers are waiting for is for what God has designed for us. As the creator of all that exists, as the creator of people. The reason the woman tells the man to wait is that she wants their exciting and passionate and, and zealous and, and hasty relationship to last. She wants it to last. 
And so the context for that is making a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman in the context of marriage. Um, I love how uh, Daniel Darling, in his his book, Dignity Dignity Revolution, how he puts it. Uh, He writes, marriage says to us, whatever happens and however this goes, I will still be here tomorrow. The only thing that can part me from you is death. And so we need that kind of permanence, that kind of assurance, that kind of faithfulness in place to give us space to be real and to be us. Um, This might be like TMI. I'm going to take that risk. This is probably TMI. But you need marriage commitment in a relationship before you can break wind in front of your partner and before you can leave the bathroom door open when you're going number two, right? Can I get an A, man? No? TMI? <laughs> like it's not something that you do, though, when uh, you're in a dating relationship, right? Your potential partner is going to walk and be like, I'm out. <laughs> I'm done, you know? There's no commitment there. There's nothing that'll keep them around. Uh, And that's a silly way to put it, right? But commitment and faithfulness are what we need, what we really long for, uh, to give us that stability that we need for something to last beyond just a one night. And so true love is... Let me just say this. You might be knee-deep right now in love, head over heels like this woman in our passage today, head over heels, and God is telling you right now to wait, wait to enjoy that love, wait until the time is right for that love to blossom and bloom where it can last, wait a little longer until you're at a place where your love can be sustained and it can flourish and grow, or maybe you've already right now, you are in a relationship and you've gone way too far. And you messed up. It's not too late to step back and to repent and seek forgiveness in Jesus and wait now until the right time. And so the first paradox that we saw is is that true love is hasty, but it will wait. Now the second paradox I wanted to point out is that true love is hard, but it will never let go. True love is hard, but it's never going to let go. So chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, we have an account of this woman's dream. This is fiction, it's, it's um, fantasy, it's not reality. This same exact uh, phenomenon happens again, it's going to come up again in chapter 5, where we witness some of the most sexually explicit stuff in the entire book of songs. Um, but here in chapter 3, we see... She has this very strong desire for the man. She longs for him and wants him. She's experiencing the angst now of not having him yet. And so let's listen to her describe her dream to us. Verse 1, chapter 3. On my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. Verse 2. I will rise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my, my soul loves? And so, I mean, she wants to be united to him, married to him, living life together. Has anyone seen whom my soul, him whom my soul loves? Anybody? 
Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Can I tell you about him whom my soul loves, about whom my soul loves? Right? We get it, girl. Like, you love this guy. Okay, cool. Like, awesome. You'll, you'll love him. Good. Head over heels, madly in love. And her emotional state is like this, kind of like, like a train wreck, because she just sent him away. She said, not now, my love, soon, but not yet. Can anybody resonate with that feeling of, of letting go and then wondering, uh-oh, did I make a mistake by, by letting go right now at this time? Am I ever going to get him or her back? Right, Andy. Am I, is this ever going to happen? Did I mess that up? Um, I'll just share it really quickly. Uh, my wife and I, when we, when we first um, were considering uh, romance and dating and all of that, um, at the very beginning, before anything started between us, we actually took a two-week period where we just, it was basically like, all right, I'm letting go right now, and we're going to examine whether or not we should even start a relationship. If it's the right time for us, we talked to friends, consulted with friends before entering a relationship. And I remember in that moment, though, going, ooh, did I mess that up? Like, letting go right now, does that mean she's never going to, is she going to, like, walk away? Like, I could have, like, for sure secured this thing, right? But I, like, gave that two weeks. Like, maybe she's going to be like, yeah, I don't know, your nose is big, or your ears are like this, or your eyes, I don't know. Like, whatever, you know, like, start picking me apart. And I, all that doubt creeps in, and like, did I mess it up? It's delicate, right? Um, there's this song that I like by Passenger. It's called Let Her Go. And there's this line that says, you only know you love her when you let her go, and you let her go. That's like the refrain. I think the song ends that way, too, and you let her go. And it, and it kind of gets at this common experience in relationships that you don't realize what you have until it's gone. Or you don't really appreciate it. Or maybe it's a business trip away uh, from the family and you realize when you're gone, wow, I really love my family. Right? Or, or why sometimes it's a break that ends up fixing a relationship that wasn't really panning out. Um, don't mishear me uh, really quick. Uh, if you're discontent right now in your marriage relationship, I'm not advising you to take time off just so that it'll fix <laughs> or mend, right? I'm not saying that. Um, there's actually a saying that I heard recently, and it really stuck out. Um, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Sometimes you just need to water your own. Good advice. So the regret that sinks in, I sent him away. What if he never comes back to me? Right? She's wondering, what if we don't work out? What if we don't make it? What if my words of caution made him want to leave me for good and he's going to find someone else? Well, true love is hard. Whoever said it was easy? Chris Martin from Coldplay. Man, there's a lot of songs, sorry. So much, so much good music. Uh, so Coldplay, he sings in, uh, in the chorus of, of The Scientist, one of their most popular songs. It says, nobody said it was easy. It's such a shame for us to part. Nobody said it was easy. No one ever said it would be this hard. Oh, take me back to the start. And then cue the music and all that. That's it though, right? Like, even in this idealized, picture-perfect romance tale of a relationship that we're reading about between this guy and this girl, that there's a ton of frustration still. It's hard. It's time-consuming. Uh, she's thinking about him all day and night, 
longs for him. She's dreaming about losing him and then gaining him like day, like every night in her dreams, like, oh, I lost him. And like just the angst of all that, man, that's hard. In a Genesis 3, like post-fall world, this is the path of love. It's hard to find the right one. And even if we find the right person, right, somebody who's worthy to be with for our lifetime, to spend life with, taking that from the beginning to the end is hard. There's risk, there's adventure, it's tiring. There are walls in the way of love. And we have to wait. And after we wait, we might, like this woman, experience the pain of missing someone while we're waiting. I know um, some friends, friends that, I, that I have, you know, who, who have to go on tour and they have to leave their spouse uh, in, in the States behind for a season of time, you know, for five months, six months, however long it is that, they need to be, that they're needed, and then they come back. That's hard, man. That is rough. But true love is hard. And the thing about true love is it will never let go. That's what we learn here in verse 4. Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. So true love is hard, but it's never going to let go. Already I talked about the beauty um, and the greatness of marriage, the, the wonderful privilege and, and benefit it is, right, to people and to society and all that. God gave marriage as a gift to us for, for the place, the context to enjoy our sexuality. But marriage won't solve your sex problems. It won't satisfy all of your deepest longings. Sometimes people describe marriage as um, always amazing. It sounds so picture perfect. Uh, And wow, we have such a passionate relationship and the best romance ever. Maybe you have a friend who confides in you and tells you about their marriage a lot. And all that does is, man, it makes you crazy jealous. (laughs) You're like, man, I wish I had that. The reality is, love is hard. Even in a healthy marriage relationship with faithful partners, it might be satisfying at times, but not all the time. So sometimes a a wife or a husband will put too heavy of a burden onto their spouse to be everything that they expect, everything that they they must live up to. They must amount to this. And the thing is, man, we we can make our loved one out to be a functional savior Cook, clean, act this way, look this way, satisfy me emotionally, communally, physically, spiritually, in in just every which way, right? And and we set them up in a way that they just can't. They can't measure up to that. They were never meant to. No one can live up to that. And so married couples, I want to just counsel everyone, including myself, give each other grace, man. Give each other grace. Confess your sins to one another and bring each other to the foot of the cross. Where love is patient, love is kind. And to those who are not married, uh, you're not second class for not being married. Our Lord Jesus was never married. He never once experienced sex. And yet he was fully human, truly human. In all the best ways, 
He was not less than human. And this tells us a lot of what it means to be made in the image of God, that sex is not the end-all, be-all, or cure-all. That there's far more to us than that aspect of life. Our sexuality, the sum of our wants and our hunger for more, it points us to something beyond ourselves. The Rolling Stones called it, I can't get no satisfaction. A no, 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 right? Can't get no. Why can't I get no satisfaction? Maybe we're looking in the wrong places. The cure for this insatiable desire is not more sex or better sex or a different partner or more partners. Those are all places that we might look, be tempted to look. The cure for this deep longing within each one of us is rooted in faithfulness and commitment and endurance. And we see that in our two heroes here in this story. The man and this woman, their relationship is so rich and vibrant and exciting and hasty and yet waiting, and it's just so beautiful, and it makes us want that for ourselves. At least it makes me want that more. I want more of that. I'm like, man, they they got this figured out. This is the ideal relationship. The Bible talks about where to find this cure to our deepest longing. God wants us to have relationship with Him, with Himself. God wants to have a relationship with you in His Christ. And in Jesus, it's a relationship that outlasts even the best kind of human friendship and the best human relationship, romantic relationship, familial relationship, friend relationship that we can ever have. And so in Christ, you can always find Him whom your soul ultimately loves. Perfect place of security and permanence. That Jesus is the lover of our souls who jumps out in this song. And so the intimacy that these two people experience, which is profound human love, that sometimes we want badly, that we want to experience, and we might get to experience through marriage or through a friendship or a a sacrifice of a family member or a friend member for us that, 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 that gives us a glimpse of that where we catch a glimpse of true love that that reflects this beautiful statement in verse 16, that my beloved is mine and I am his. This like unbreakable bond. We might have a relationship like that right now, and it's beautiful. I am his and he is mine. That's a place of security, a place of guaranteed promise, which is exactly the kind of promise that God holds out to us again and again that springs off, that leaps and bounds off the pages of the Bible over and over again in every story. And it's a lot, and this God who's alive and active in this world. He's this covenant God who says, I will be your God and you will be my people. Like we heard this morning over little Micah Elliot Chung. Exodus 6, Jeremiah 7, Ezekiel 36, all the way to the last book in the Bible in Revelation. This promise resounds that I will be your God and you will be my people. This God who in Christ promises, like he says to us in Matthew 28, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. This is God who's not going to ever let you go. In Christ, God will never let you go. 
So love's a paradox. True love is hasty, but it will wait. True love is hard, but it will never let go. Today, God's telling us about his love for us. It's a love that you were created for, that he made you for. You were made to be known in love, and he offers this love to you today. Hear this. The the gospel for single people is not that you're going to find a lover. The gospel for married people is not that your marriage will be so fixed and so flawless and, and you'll experience new heights because you get the book of Solomon, Song of Solomon, right? That you understand the book, the Song of Solomon. Now, the gospel for married and singles is that there's more to marriage than the perfect ideal marriage. There's more to life than sex. There's true love. There's true relationship with, in, and through Jesus Christ. And that is our gospel hope that where we find out where we're flawed, He is flawless. Where we're broken, He mends. Where we sin, He forgives. Where we're hurt, He helps. Where we seek in Christ, we are found. And wherever we let go, those are the places where God says, I'm never going to let you go. This is the God who promises. Let's pray.